Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion podcast. My name's Christina O'Donnell. And I'm Damien Thompson. Are Christians being patronized out of existence by Britain's preening liberal elites? Well, that's one of the many points made by our guest, Quentin Letts, in his new book, Patronizing Bastards. Yes, it really is called that. Quentin rails against a clerisy of administrators and managers and post-striking know-alls, putting us in our place. Think this. Don't think that. Inappropriate. Hate crime. From Blue Peter presenters to the chief medical officer, from that ninny Nick Clegg to railway tannoys, they treat us like toddlers. And then they got the shock of their lives when Britain voted for Brexit. Quentin has many targets... But today we're talking about the patronising of religious believers by the smuggerati, including the BBC. There's an item, Quentin's book, on the vandalisation of Radio 2's Sunday Half Hour, a well-loved programme of hymns, now, says Let's, placed into the BBC's PC food mixer. They had a special episode for International Women's Day. Is that now to be considered a religious festival? The camera focusing tight on a stained glass window showing St. Harriet of Harmon. Quentin, good example. This speaks volumes, doesn't it? The way that they've treated hymns on Radio 2 is a real pity, actually, because a lot of people enjoyed listening to Sunday evening hymns. They weren't the sort of people that the BBC management really understands. They were, if we can stereotype them grossly, they're probably older, uh, they probably lived in the provinces, they may have been on their own, and they certainly weren't groovers on Twitter. They used to enjoy this programme, but suddenly it was deemed essential to move that lovely old-fashioned programme with traditional hymns, they moved it off the prime slot on a Sunday evening and they buzzed it onto, uh, I think, 6am slot or something like that on a, on a Sunday morning instead. And of course then hardly anyone listened to it live. That was such a pity. But it, it, it was typical of the way that the BBC management seems to approach religion and completely failing to understand the ancient rhythms and the, the, the importance of tradition and custom in religion. Well, it is a brilliant insight into the way that religion is being treated by the elites everywhere. It's being infantilised. You know, what was once a strong, energetic life force is now being infantilised and treated like a, you know, a wayward toddler. Yes, and it was also beautiful, wasn't it? It was totally beautiful uh, the, and inspiring. And the importance of beauty, not just in religion, but also in art, as I argue in this book, has been driven out by the elite. The elite doesn't like beauty because beauty is something, well, can we say divine? It's ethereal. It's, it's beyond it's also comprehension. it's exclusive because well, <clears throat> beauty means there's ugly too. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a hierarchy in beauty and they don't like hierarchies, of course. But also they are wary of religion and they're wary of beauty because these are alternative belief systems. I was very interested that you focused on infantilization, quite rightly, I think, Christina. And Quentin, you've talked about Blue Peter presenters and treating us like toddlers. Because what strikes me when I attend the Catholic equivalent of, of these dumbed-down Anglican services, what strikes me is that they've basically been turned into a sort of primary school assembly yes. in which everybody is treated like children and the music, God help us, sounds as if it's being performed by primary school children, and only less skillfully. And as Quentin points out, that sign of the peace that people <laughs> have, to, have to show one another, there's something very Montessori 
about that, isn't well, there? Enough, I quite like it. I'm very heretical. My traditionalist friends go bananas when I say I quite like the How sign of peace. Well, anyway, I mean, though, the sign of the peace brings out in me intense feelings of violence. The sign uh, of the beast. <laughs> the sign of the peace. Well, Anglicans, you see, Catholics have had it for much longer than you have. And, but but and the, so what happens is the... Well, we've had the, nearly everything much the, longer than you have. The priest suddenly says, we will now have the sign of the peace. And they go into, they, they form their mouth like a sort of goat exhaling. And they then advance on you with this hand outstretched, or worse, both arms outstretched. And there's nowhere to hide. And happily, we don't have it at How Capel Church, where I worship, because we have the Book of Common Prayer. But it is just a terrible moment. You don't know what to do. Should you go into the crouch position on an aeroplane when you're about to crash? Or do you just look at the ceiling? My father used to say firmly, no, thank you. The only one of our family who likes it is our little girl, 14 now, who goes around, jumps around, basically, uh, sort of introducing herself to everyone, thinks it's a cocktail party. Well, but it, it's not a cocktail I, party. I had a it friend. Is a, it is a church I, I, I had a friend who uh, wasn't particularly religious, but disapproved of the sign of peace so much that that was literally the only moment at which he would fall to his knees in deep prayer. But I do quite seriously believe that the sign of the peace has put more people off going to the Church of England than any number of pederast priests. Quentin, I'm very interested in your view that the elite hate religion because it's subversive to their culture. It presents an alternative view. But what's so funny is that about 50 years ago, liberals supported alternative culture. They were the ones manning the barricades and saying, you know, death to the establishment, let's rock the establishment, let's not accept any of the nostrums. Whereas now, they will not broach any kind of alternative to their own truths. Well, that was before they became the establishment. Yes. And there is still a sense of denial throughout government that the Liberals are now in power and have been for about 30 years, and they've become increasingly illiberal. And they expect that everything must be provable. And of course, the thing about religion is it involves faith, yes. which means that it's not provable. You know, you, you have, have to, to jump. You have to make a, 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 a leap, yes. like a spider off a roof. Yes. And this insistence on things being provable, and, and they scorn ignorance. But of course, there's so much more in this world that we do not understand, and they, they cannot get their heads around that. Can I quote your book? You can, of course. Of course. <laughs> there may be deeper truths in one page of the Book of Common Prayer than in the whole issue of the British Medical Journal. And I think that's absolutely true. Science should not have a monopoly on the concept of truth, and yet it does. True. The Richard yes. Dawkinses of this world, the Brian Coxes of this world, think that they alone possess truth, reality, facts. Those sort of Dawkinses and Coxes and others seem to me very uninterested in humanity. Yes. And humanity is, it quivers with doubt and with worry and with fear about what might be coming and of the afterlife. And these militant atheists seem to just ignore that capacity in the human being for worry and fear. Okay, well, can I strike another heretical note by saying that give me a militant atheist any day over a bien-pensant liberal Christian, who are my you know, particular <laughs> bête noire, um, the sort for whom Christianity is basically you know, social work with guitars. I don't think you will ever hear anything more patronising than, let's say, thought for the day, 
when presented by a Christian or indeed a Jew or a Muslim, well, the message is always the same, basically. Social justice, meaning a big state and open-ended immigration and attacks on patriotism. I get this from the, the Catholic bishops. The Anglican bishops are almost as bad, and I sometimes think they've done as much damage as sort of full frontal assaults by dogmatic secularists. What do you think? I yes, think? I think that's perfectly possible. There's a lack of pride, isn't there? There's a lack of self-belief funnily enough, in people who proclaim belief, and it corrodes the support of churchgoers. What's the point of going to a church if the person who stands up and preaches at you probably doesn't believe and doesn't seem proud of the belief? And also, if they've so denuded the services of majesty that there's no blasting out of wonderful old hymns, and they, they have you sing songs, worship songs, about butterflies and, instead. And actually, the establishment, the atheist or agnostic establishment, actually loves these collaborating Christians, you might say. It, oh, yeah, it well, loved, Richard, it Richard, loved Harris. Richard Harris. Absolutely yeah. loved the unctuous Richard Harris. Lord Harris. Um, Lord Harris is now. Is he a Labour peer? Uh, I think he is. Yes. yes. Well, I mean, he's, you know, he's been Labour all, all the way through. But um, also, the dreadful woman called Professor Tina Beattie, Catholic, she says, professor who's always spouting the, I say, the latest liberal platitude, the latest liberal platitude from the 1960s. There is a lack of mustard in the Anglican hierarchy. Certainly, I don't know really about the Roman well, Catholic. Well, it's not one, organic, you see. It's, <laughs> they are. They just so fail to stand up for their own lot. But that's because, and now let me let me strike a note of dissent here. This is not just about patronising. This is about persecution. I think, and I know Damien doesn't agree, but I think that if you hold certain views about certain subjects, and those subjects include homosexuality, abortion, adoption by gays, if you hold those views, you face life-ruining disadvantages. You could be sacked, you can be closed down like the Catholic adoption services were. This is not just about patronising. Well, that's certainly true in the establishment, of course. It's not necessarily true of, say, somebody who runs their own shop and you know, not involved in politics. But it is true of the political elite, and those are the lot I'm trying yeah. to approach in this book. Yes, no, I see that. But I do think that, you know, Damien, we're not just let down by our hierarchy. We are let down because we are beginning to be fearful of expressing certain opinions because well, I, and I they're in I the new really intolerance. I, I don't really disagree. I mean, you know, look what happened to Jacob Rees-Mogg when he simply stated Absolutely. the unchanging teaching of the Catholic Church. Yes, but then he, stuck to his, then he stuck to his position, and actually the more he stuck to it, the more people thought, well, actually, yeah. you know, why can't he say that? So the illiberalism can actually be overcome. And there was a woman called Labour MP, very brave, called Anne Cryer, oh, yes, who about yes. 10, yes. 15 yes. years ago started making, asking questions about the way that some young Muslim women were being treated. And at first she was regarded as some sort of devil for asking those questions. The more she pushed it, the more she stuck to her position, then people thought, oh, actually, she's got a point. So Good. you can Overcome Absolutely. Absolutely. On the subject of persecution, if we could just talk for a second about the persecution of Christians abroad, there's very recently a brilliant report by Aid to the Church in Need which suggests that the persecution of Christians is now at an all-time high. Now, your book, Quentin, is full of people espousing worthy causes, forcing them down our throats, yeah. preaching with the aid of taxpayers' money, trying to make us feel guilty. But 
Am I right in saying that persecution of Christians doesn't figure very prominently on their agendas? That hasn't come on the radar. (laughs) And in the House of Commons uh, recently, there's been quite a lot to do about the Rohingya, Muslim minority in Burma. Are we still allowed to call it even Burma? And, you know, undoubtedly there are questions to be asked about the way that those unfortunates have been treated. But we have not had the same urgent questions being granted by Speaker John Burko into the persecution of Christians. Why not? Very good question. I mean, in the House of Lords for the last, God knows, 20 years or so, many years before that, David Alton and Baroness Cox and, and one or two people have been almost lone voices consistently drawing attention to the persecution of Christians, but basically, as, as the Bible says, wasting their sweetness on the desert air. Well, the establishment isn't interested. No, because I'm afraid the establishment has been hijacked by secularists, even by militant atheists, and people of faith, Christians of faith, not Muslims of faith, are obscurantist, ignoramuses, they are anti-feminists, they are anti-gays. The list goes on and on. We are full of secular sins. Well, they are pitied. They're patronised. And that's why the book's... I think think it's worth saying that Muslims are patronised too. Patronised very intensely, though perhaps there's a different sort of patronisation. They're patronised in in an upward direction. They're patronised in a positive way. They're told how marvellous they are and how wonderful their traditions are and they're constantly informed by their own interviewers that they're they're a peace-loving community and I suspect that actually does get up the nose of peace-loving Muslims. And they they are told this often by people who haven't read a a syllable of, of the Quran. Good point. But I think there's a sadly a serious side to patronising bastards, which is we risk forever erasing any of the good works that church-based groups have done in the past, from schools to orphanages to hospitals. And we risk making people of faith feel so persecuted and stigmatised and and stupid that a kind of fundamentalism is going to be the automatic position. I'm a little more optimistic than you. It feels a little bit different if you go outside London. I live in Herefordshire and the church is still pretty strong, not necessarily in numbers, but in terms of the, the hierarchy of the, of the county. And in the shires, there is still a, a greater tradition of respect for the church. But the establishment right. doesn't really think outside London, no. does it? And well, this is really one of the themes of your book. No, it's, it's a very, we are a very London-centric nation. Hence the misunderstanding about Brexit. Hence yes, the, they got the that one wrong. absolute failure to see what was palpably clear to anybody who went to Birkenhead or to Bradford. Yeah. I also think that one of the sad truths in your book is that there are loads and loads of people up and down this country, and certainly in London, who live in fear of saying the wrong thing. Well, yes. But let's just think how this can be rectified, these problems that we're identifying. The main thing is the BBC. And the BBC is a real hive of badness at the moment on this. And they have a a knee-jerk antipathy to anything to do with faith or church. And they will only ever talk about Christians. If somebody is a Christian, they they have to be called a devout Christian. You can't be called a churchgoer now. They never use the expression churchgoer. It's always so-and-so will be a devout Christian. Lots of Christians aren't devout. Lots of them are, are Riddled with doubt. That's a much more accurate description. But they they cannot, they so misunderstand religion that everything has to be black and white. And what's so sad is the young producers who are, you know, forever calling anybody who is a Christian and prepare to go on radio or television defending the Christian principles will be so theologically illiterate that I still remember one of them saying to me, so I understand you're not a Christian, but you're a Catholic. (laughs) And I almost put the phone down. You should have, Christina. 
Quentin Lett, thank you very thank much you very indeed. Much.